Think about the battlefield of the mind. Think about that often. That battlefield of the mind is so powerful. And we want to make sure, church, that we don't feed the beast of the enemy, do we? He gains ground in the battlefield of our minds, in that circus between our ears, that data center. And the more we think about the problem, at least in my mind, the more I think about it, typically the bigger the problem becomes. And the enemy's right there with his pom-poms, just cheering me on and going, keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it. And again, God's over in the corner going, I'm over here. My glory's over here. Freedom's over here, John. Well, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. We'll take your Bible and turn to the book of James. We are continuing our study here in the book of James. I'm just excited about what God is going to speak into our lives today, I pray. So James chapter 1, we are journeying through James chapter 1, word by word, verse by verse, and I pray that you will be strengthened. As you're turning there, I was was thinking about this thought, church, that do you ever have to tell yourself when you're hungry? I know I don't. I know when I'm hungry. But question for me and you right now, how about when we're spiritually hungry? Do we recognize that? Do we see it for what it is? So I pray as you open the scriptures and grab your pen and your notepad and your notes, I pray that we'll be starving today, just starving. I pray you're hungry. I pray you're just excited. I pray you say, Lord, I I just want to hear from you today. I I want you to speak, and then I want to obey. And so grab that fork, grab that napkin. Let's dig in together to the bread of life, Jesus himself. So here we are in our primary text of James chapter 1 verse 12 there for your notes, and make a note of that. And the sermon title is simply this, Are You Blessed? Ask that. Just ask that question, are you blessed? Am I blessed? This word blessed has so many definitions in our culture today, and I pray today we're going to see very clear from just one verse, James 1, verse 12, of what it really means to be blessed and what goes into that equation. So here in James 1, 12, it says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Don't miss that. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, underline that for sure, which God has promised to those who love him. When you look at this verse and you dissect and analyze it, you're going to see that there are two rewards that are packed into this short verse. And Right out of the gate, James says these words, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So we got to backtrack for just a moment and remember where we've come from. So James out of the gate said, hey, I'm James. Uh, This is who I am. I'm a bondservant of the Lord. This is who I love, who I treasure. This is who I live for. I'm going to write to you of the dispersion, these Jews that were scattered. And oh, by the way, I want you to count it all joy because you are in trials, you're going to continue to go through trials, and that's just life in general, isn't it? That's just par for the course. Just because we come to know Jesus and give our lives to Him doesn't mean that we no longer have struggles or trials or temptations. 
And so here he says in verse 12 from that context, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed. Make a note of this in your notes that that word blessed simply means this, to be happy. It means to be happy, to be content, to, to be joyful. So do you see the theme? If we were to go back up in James from what we already read, that he said, count it all joy. And so now he's reminding again, he's saying, look, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the student. Blessed is the child. What? That remains steadfast under trial. You may be thinking, as I was, that when you hear the blessed and then a phrase, what do you think of often from Scripture? You think of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 and There's those blessed in there, if you will. Here James is speaking powerfully when he says, look, happy, fortunate are those who truly remain steadfast. You say, well, do we have to do something here? Do we have to do something? Yes, we do. There's a condition here. It's right there in the text. It says, blessed is the man, the woman, who remains steadfast under, don't miss that, by the way, under the trial. Blessed they are as they remain. And they're remaining and they're under. So picture, picture church, they're they're under the trial, they're in the trial, and in the midst of the trial, there's a blessing. I know it's counterintuitive to the flesh, isn't it? Remaining steadfast. What, What does that mean? Well, think about it like this. Endures, perseveres. This enduring is not just surviving, by the way. How many times do you think about that? I'm enduring. What are we really saying? Man, I'm at my wit's end, right? I'm about to hit the done button. I don't know if I can do this any longer. Ever been there? I know I have. This is not what that means. This is an enduring, don't miss this church, that's looking, that's looking towards the victory. It's an endurance that says, I'm going to look towards the victory. I'm going to see it out there. And I know it's there because I know my Redeemer lives. It's so important that we gravitate towards that and sense that because life's hard. It's really hard. It's so disappointing at times, and, and we don't understand often, God, why are you allowing this into my life? I, I don't get it. God, I'm serving you. I, I've laid everything on the altar metaphorically. All my Isaacs are on the altar, and this is how you repay me. Hold fast. Be steadfast. Don't lose hearts. God is good. In the midst of the struggle, he's there. I love this thought that blessed is the man who remains steadfast, who perseveres. Because when you're under that trial, don't miss this, it does weigh us down. But the trials, here we go. Here's the whole point of this. The trials are a test of our faith. Let me say that again. The trials, the temptations are a test of our faith. You don't know how strong something is unless it's tested. You could sit in a chair, you could drive over a bridge, you could walk into a high-rise building. Prayerfully, it's been tested, amen? And that you're not the guinea pig. Uh, prayerfully, it's been tested. The engineers have tested it with stress tests to know what weight it can bear. Our faith, that it's real, it's living, it's active, it's it's all about Christ coming into the life and, and taking over the life. And, and when Christ does that in your life and my life, here's what happens. We go through testing. It's just part of life. And it reveals our faith, not to the Lord, 
but to us. But then also not to us, but to others. A watching world that says, look, you profess to be a Christ follower, and I want to see how you react when you get that health report. You say you're a Christ follower. I want to see how you react when you lose that job. You say you're a Christ follower, but I want to see what happens when that marriage is imploding. See, it's a testing of our faith. That's why key number one is so important. I want you to write this down in your notes, church. Key number one, here it is. Victory during the trials and temptations of life. Victory during the trials and temptations of life bring a profound blessing and happiness. Let me say that again. Key number one, make sure you write this down. Victory, don't miss that. So the victory's on the front end. We already know it's, we've won, amen. It's, we know the victory's been sealed. When Christ conquered sin and death and the grave is forever empty, we know we have the victory. So the victory during the trials and temptations of life bring, they produce, they're working, they're, they're doing something. What a profound blessing and that happiness. You know, some people say, well, you just serve that God who's a crutch. I've heard that before. I would say yes, but I would say no, because God is just not my crutch. He's my spiritual stretcher. Like, just lay on Him. Like, just don't use Him as a crutch, but, but lay on the Lord today. Lean into Him, press into Him. Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. That Jesus says that I am the true vine. He says I'm the true vine for a reason because there's all kinds, there's all kinds of false vines out there. They're everywhere. There's false vines that are pulling at you and pulling at me saying, hey, come over here, come over here and I'll give you what you want and I'll give you what you need. And Jesus goes, hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm the true vine. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. How do you get through the trial? Self-actualization? No. Just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? No. Thinking harder, planning harder? No. It's all about abiding in Jesus. Just abide in the vine. Rest in Him today. Knowing the victory during the trials and even those temptations of life will bring a profound blessing and a happiness. I made a couple notes here I wanted just to, to read in my preparation time that God's spoken to my life. I said this, happiness is a byproduct of enduring adversity, affliction, and temptations. We typically do not think of blessing and affliction and adversity and temptations in the same thought pattern as blessings do. We think of blessing, and again, when I ask, are you blessed, and the title, I'm sure even if I ask it right now, you have a myriad of things going on in your mind. Blessed, what does that mean? I'm blessed. I have good health. That's a great thing. Hey, I'm blessed. I have uh, finances and money in the bank. Good thing. I'm blessed. I have a family around me. Those are all good things. But the context here is just a simple happiness, a contentment in the midst, again, of the persecution. They've been dispersed, these Jews. Who knows what's really going on in their world? Who knows what's really going on in their health reports and, and in their news of their life? And yet here they are as they're hearing from James through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. James is saying, blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who does what? 
who remains steadfast. That's why I want you to write down 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as a supporting verse. Write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, For this light momentary affliction, don't miss this part, is preparing for us, what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So let's unpack that supporting verse under this key number one, that, that there's victory that there's victory, and I have to remind myself of this so often. Church, I'm guilty of this. It is so easy to become discouraged, isn't it? It's so easy to bend. It's so easy to waver. It's so easy to take our eyes off the Savior and to look at the waves. And the victory is there. The victory has been won. And here Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction. Now, I don't know what was going on there in in Paul in his life, but can we agree that when we're going through the struggle, the trial, there's very little that's light and momentary, amen? Very little that's light and momentary in the struggle. And yet Paul, because he was so captivated by the love of Christ on that Damascus road, that Christ came into his life and he literally purchased him and said, you're a chosen vessel of mine to suffer greatly for my name. Hey, who wants to sign up for that team? Paul writes, this light, momentary affliction, here's the key, church, is preparing, it's working, it's producing. All of my trials, all of your trials right now are actually working. Behind the scenes, God is working. He's taking that tapestry, and you've heard the illustration before that, that you take the tapestry, and on one side of the tapestry, it looks so beautiful, doesn't it? You're like, wow, that's amazing. And yet you go to the flip side of the tapestry, and you see that underpinning of chaos. That's God in our trials, that He is weaving something so beautiful in the front. And on the back, there are the trials and the heartache and the disappointments and all the things in life. And we just say, God, the losses keep piling up and I can't take it anymore. Be steadfast. Don't lose heart. Don't bend, buckle, nor break, but trust the Lord. For these light momentary afflictions are preparing, they're working. And here it is, they're working what? They're working in an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, that's the key. We got to put on this heavenly lens, so to speak, our heavenly cap and go, I'm going to look through now these new lenses, these new lenses that are no longer of self. We put self on the shelf and we go, God, I'm going to look through these new lenses that, that see clearly. God, they see as you see. And we have the trial and as you see the trial and we begin to see our trial, we see that they're light and they're momentary. They really are in comparison to this eternal weight of glory. That we're with God in heaven forever. See, if our faith is true, it will prove to be true under the trials. Let me say that again. If the faith is true, if it's real, it will prove itself to be true under the trials. Think about the battlefield of the mind. Think about that often. That battlefield of the mind is so powerful and we want to make sure, church, that we don't feed the beast of the enemy, do we? He gains ground in the battlefield of our minds, in that circus between our ears, that data center. And the more we think about the problem, at least in my mind, the more I think about it, typically the bigger the problem becomes. 
And the enemy's right there with his pom-poms just cheering me on and going, keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it. And again, God's over in the corner going, I'm over here. My glory's over here. Freedom's over here, John. Well, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Think about Romans 8, 18. Write that one down as well. Romans 8, 18. Paul now writes to the church there in Rome and Again, powerful words. He says this, for I consider, so he's pondering and thinking, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Do you see the lens? Do you see the scope? Do you see how Paul is saying, look, I'm going through hard times. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, back in that first chapter, Paul's like, we wanted to like despair life. It was so bad. It was so horrible. And here in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, no matter what he dealt with, no matter what I deal with, no matter what you're dealing with today, when we compare, when we compare sufferings on this earth to the eternal weight of glory, to the reward, to being in the presence of the King, 24-7, 365, there is no time, just forever and ever. Imagine how that's going to compare. There is no comparison. Matter of fact, when you look at that in the original language, it means this, that it's not worth comparing. It literally will not pass the test. You can't even compare the two together. The glory is so huge and the vastness and the splendor of our great God. So look at the next part of this verse here in James. What other reward? There's two in addition to being blessed. Right there it is in your Bible. Look at it. What other reward is the result when we remain steadfast under trials? Under, picture again, under those trials. I don't know about you, but don't you want to get out from under the trial? I very rarely pray, Lord, thanks for the trial and thanks for keeping me under it. Now I typically say, Lord, get me out of it. And if the Lord says, no, John, I need to keep you there. I need to keep you under that as you're being pruned and refined and made into the likeness of my son, Jesus. Just, just stay there. I got you. I got you. Don't move. Well, here's what it says. Here's kind of the why, if you will, the because, the purpose. That second part there of verse 12, James 1. For or because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He doesn't say here that he might, he will. So when we have stood the test, when our faith has proved to be real, we will not only be blessed and praise God for that, but we are going to receive the crown of life. What does it mean to stand the test? Well, here it is in your Bible. It means this, to be approved, to be tried, to be true. Think about that trial. When the trial is complete and you've passed the test. You guys remember going to school? I'm assuming you went to school and you took those things called tests. Do you remember? And maybe you can right now. Maybe even right now you're thinking of those anxious thoughts you used to have taking a test. You stayed up all night or... Maybe you were like me and you crammed in the car on the way to school. You passed that test prayerfully. And wasn't that a, a joyous occasion? Boy, your, your palms were sweaty. You're like, oh no, I got to take this test. What's going to be on there that I know I didn't study? And you took the test and by some miracle of the Lord, you passed. 
The papers were handed back and he looked at the grade and said, but you passed. It, there was just something about that, wasn't there? Just great relief. You're just like, but this is amazing. Picture that church on just infinite steroids, spiritual steroids that we pass the test, we stand the test as we rest not only under the trial, but Psalm 91, we rest under the shadow of the wing of the great God of the Bible. We rest under there. While we're under the trial, we're also resting under the wing of God Almighty, and we're under it, and He's covering under His pavilion, under His goodness and His grace and His mercy. We're resting. That's what our great God does, and that we will receive, we will take hold of. I love that in the Greek. Let me read that again. Look at that in your Bible. Look for a moment. For or because when he has stood the test, when he's approved, when he's tried, when he's true, he will take hold of. I love this. It's one thing to receive something. It's a whole nother thing to take hold of it. And when you and I understand what eternal life is, this crown of life, I pray that we are grabbing on, holding on for dear life. Let me take hold of it. Let me take hold of this glorious free gift of God. I made another note here. I said this, when the person is shown to be approved or genuine through that testing and those trials, then their faith will be revealed for what it really is. And they will really receive something. When? When that happens, what will they receive? Well, I alluded to it. It's this crown of life. And I want you to picture back in that day, they had athletic competitions and they didn't give out uh, trophies per se like we have or, or blue ribbons. They would typically give out a wreath, a crown. And they would put this crown, this wreath, and it would signify the victor. Remember the victory we talked about? Always keep in mind the victory that the victory is always there for the true believer in Christ. It's all about the victory. It's all about the grave being conquered. If Jesus is still in the grave, nothing else matters. But because He's no longer in the grave, that He conquered sin and He conquered death, and the grave is forever empty, we have freedom. We have freedom indeed. But we also, as Paul said, we are more than conquerors. We are literally having hyper-victory is what he meant there. Hyper-victory this crown of life. And one definition that someone wrote, they said it like this, it was interesting. The eternal blessedness which we will be given as a prize to the genuine servants of God and of Christ. This crown, this wreath, you can picture that. And there's five crowns mentioned in Scripture. We won't go into those today, but you think about the imperishable crown the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and right here, the crown of life. That's why key number two is so important. Write this down. Key number two in your notes. True saving faith will be tested to reveal that it's true. Write that down. That's so important. We live in this utter foolish nonsense of health, wealth, and prosperity, which is not scriptural. And the reality from Scripture is this key number two, true saving faith. When it's true, not false, 
when it's true, when it's real, when there's fidelity there, that it has been tested, it's been tried, it's been proven true. When it's true saving faith, it will be tested to reveal that it is true. Think about this, trials and afflictions and adversity and temptations do not destroy your faith. Please hear me clearly on this. The trials and the temptations and the adversity that you and I go through in this broken earthly life, they do not destroy faith. They reveal whether it was real or not in the first place. That when the faith is real, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. When the faith is true, they can lead you to a beach in North Africa in an orange jumpsuit, and they put a knife to your throat, and it doesn't matter. When your faith is real, you can go through the calamity of life. You can go through financial collapse. You can go through all the difficulties as the losses keep piling up one after another. Your back's against the rope. You don't have any idea what God is up to. But when the faith is real, it will be revealed to be real. Trials don't destroy our faith. They simply give evidence Was the faith real in the first place? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That's why Deuteronomy, write this down. I'm going to give you several verses here to support this thought of key number two. First one here is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Anyone else struggle with spelling Deuteronomy? I know I do. I just call it Deut. Deuteronomy 8, 2. Here it is. This one really just speaks into our lives. Here's the Word of God. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Here we go. That He might humble you, testing you, here we go, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandment or not. Did you catch that? Remember the kids of Israel? Boy, they, uh, they obeyed well, right? They did everything perfectly, right? Well, we know better than that. I mean, they struggled. Uh, God would do miracle after miracle, and, and they would rejoice, and God would be silent perhaps for a moment, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? Help! Don't leave us out here. God says this, I've led you out here that I might humble you. See, pride comes before the fall, but that humble heart is who God will look upon. He'll shine his face upon that he might test you, the text says, to know what was in your heart. See, the testing, church, understand this, going back to key number two, the testing doesn't destroy the faith. The testing reveals what's in our heart. When we're going through the struggle, it's going to reveal what's really in there. Anyone can praise Jesus when things are going well. But we know who's really in 
when things are not going well. And I believe that perhaps we could face a time in America where there could be serious persecution, serious persecution. Not like there's a traffic jam on I-95 at Friday at 5 p.m. That's not persecution. I'm talking about serious persecution. Like you go to church and you'll get put in jail. Well, if that does come to our country, I believe we're going to see a mass exodus from the American church. I didn't sign up for this. The guy on the television said, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, hocus pocus, you're in. That's not what Scripture says, though. True saving faith will be tested. How about Matthew 24, 13? Write that down. Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Don't miss that. Let me say that again, short verse, Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures, we've been talking about this endurance, this persevering, this standing the test, this one who endures to the end will be saved. Think about the crown of life. The crown of life is all about eternal life. The one who endures will be saved. It's purely logical, even in its definition. If you don't endure, how will you be saved? It's all about the endurance. Think about also Luke 8, Luke 8, verse 13. Luke 8, 13. This is the parable of the sower. Remember this, four different soils, if you will. And of course, the seed is the word of God. You got the path and you got the rock and the thorns and then you got the good soil. So you got four and only one's good. And right here in Luke 8, 13, I love this. It says this, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, don't miss this, they receive it with joy. Well, I've heard the word, they gave the invitation. Hey, I'll take that. That sounds glorious. Why wouldn't anyone, why wouldn't anyone say, hey, I want to go to heaven? And it's that, that lucky charms Christianity, I call it. You guys ever eat lucky charms before? I used to love lucky charms. Man, I love that stuff. I know it's horrible for you, but I loved it. I'd dig in there when no one was looking, I'd pick out those those little lucky charms. They called them marshmallows, but they were really like stale styrofoam packing material. You know what I'm talking about? And man, we'd like, we'd pick those things out of there, wouldn't we? We'd pick those things out of there. And the next person that got the box, it was just a bunch of like cereal. But we'd always look first for the toy inside, didn't we as kids? I want to get the toy. I think so many times that's what happens in Christianity in America. I just want to find the toy. Oh, what's down in there? And what happens is from Luke 8, well, it's fallen on the rock. And the first response was one of joy. Yeah, I'll take this. I'll take this free ride to heaven. Sure. But it's fallen on the rock. And what happens? When they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, for a season. Here we go, church, don't miss this. And in the time of testing, in the time of trials, they fall away. That phrase, fall away, in the original means this, to stand apart from God. So, hey, I'll take this gift. Yeah, sure. Why wouldn't I do this? Wait a minute, trials, testing? I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. When they fall away, they wander from the truth. The lucky charms, Christianity, all the marshmallows are gone. 
when they wander away as they stand apart from God. How about lastly under this supporting verse, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, write this down. Revelation 2, 9 through 11. This is to the church in Smyrna. And if you remember, there are seven churches and only two are honoring to the Lord. So you got about a 28.5% completion percentage. That will get you fired from the NFL and pumping gas in a heartbeat. And there were two that were good. You had Philadelphia, the faithful church, and then you had Smyrna there, the persecuted church. And this is what is said here in Revelation 2, 9 through 11. I know your tribulation sounds familiar, doesn't it? We've been talking about this. Your testing, your trials, and your poverty. But you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are really a synagogue of Satan. Wow, it's a powerful visual. Verse 10 do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Sounds interesting. Why? Here we go. That you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have trials, tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you, here we go, church, the crown of life, eternal glory, salvation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, capital F, says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Did you catch that? For the one who conquers, for the one who has the crown of life, eternal life, the second death doesn't matter because we won't have a second death. We may die a first death here on this earth, but we will never die again when we've given our life to Christ. Do you see how James shows us so clearly right here? When he stood the test, he will receive. When he's persevered and endured in this life, he will receive, he will latch on to, he will take hold of, he will take root of. Salvation, this crown of life. Matthew Henry, the old commentator, said it like this. The tried Christian shall be crowned one. And the crown he shall wear will be a crown of life. It will be life and bliss to him, and it will last forever. We only bear the cross for a while. Don't miss that. But we shall wear the crown to eternity. Amen. We only bear the cross for a while. But we'll wear the crown of life, eternal life, into and forever throughout eternity. So how about the last part of our verse? Here it is. We've looked at the two rewards, happiness and the crown of life. How do we get there? Well, we've talked about being steadfast. But what's this last part of verse 12 of James 1 say? Here's what it says in my Bible. Which God has promised, don't miss that, underline that, to those who love Him. God, theos. We talk about theology, the, the doctrine of, of God. We talk about meology, the doctrine of self. We want to get out of meology and get into theology. God, again, is just not some divine butler, some personal assistant, some cosmic Santa Claus, some genie in the bottle, some spiritual vending machine that we just call up at a moment's notice and chop, 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 here we go, beck and call, uh, bring us fluffier towels and put mints on our pillow. And that's not what Jesus is for. 
He's promised God has right here in this verse. God has promised. It means this to commit with fidelity. And when God promises, He doesn't promise like you and I do. Ever broken a promise before? I have. I'm not always faithful. But God is ever faithful. The Word says this, that even when we are faithless, God is ever faithful. Cling to that church, which God has promised to those who love Him. What's it mean to love? Love has all kinds of definitions in our culture, doesn't it? Love could be you truly love someone, you care for them. You could say, I I love chocolate chip cookies. Love has this broad definition in our culture, but this is that agape love. This agape love is this, that, that loves in spite of, as, as God gave His only Son, that, that He gave His only Son, that He executed His only begotten Son, that He sent Him to a cruel Roman cross. And, and the Bible says this, that it pleased the Father to bruise Him, that He was marred beyond recognition, and He did it because He loves He loves so vastly, so deeply. We cannot truly understand in our finite minds. He loves. Oh, how He loves us, the song says. Oh, how He loves us as the blood ran red. We're to love Him back. And one of the primary ways we love is through obedience. That's why key number three, your last key, simply says this. As we give God our lives expressed through love to Him, and we endure to the end, we will receive the promise of eternal life. Let me say key number three again. Here it is. As we give God our lives, don't miss that. We said that a lot around here. We give Him our lives. No strings attached, no fine print of the contract. We just slide over the blank sheet of the paper of our life to God and say, God, here's my life. You take it. You fill in the details. And as we slide that across the table, so to speak, to God, here's what happens. There is that that transfer of ownership. We say, God, my life is no longer my own. I just give you my hopes and my dreams and my plans. I just give it to you, God, and say, you take it. That's a love. That's a love where you just turn everything over, just everything. You hold nothing back. You say, here's my life. Just you take it. Use it for your glory. That's love. It's really the motive. It's the motive. It's the motive behind what we do. We love God so much. We say, God, I just want to live for you. There's nothing greater, church, nothing greater than living for the Lord all the days of your life when you live for Him, when you say, look, I'm just going to do whatever I need to do in my life, in my sphere of influence, my world, to live for you. You'll get to the end with no regrets. Like none. There'll be nothing. And for those of us that hang on to the self-life, those of us who cling to that self-life, that if we don't repent, if we don't put self on the shelf, there'll be a time that we get to the end. We'll look back and what could have been and what should have been through love to our great God as we say, God, you gave your all to me through your son, Jesus. I'm going to give everything back to you. See, the overall concept, don't miss this church, is one who obeys the Lord, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. The obedience is not out of coercion. It's not out of manipulation. 
It's not that I have to. No, when truly the life has been given to the Lord, when, the, when your life has been given to Him and you offer it up, Romans 12, 1 through 2, as a living sacrifice, it's a joy to give Him your life. Like you don't look at it and go, what am I losing? No, you look at it and go, look what I'm gaining. I have peace and joy and contentment in the midst of the struggle as I give my life away to God. Not trying to earn His grace, you can't do it. Not trying to earn salvation, can't do it. It's by grace we've been saved, and not through any works, lest any man should boast, comma, but we are His workmanship created for good works, not for the salvation, but from it. It's a springboard. When the life has truly been saved, we now want to please God. We want to give our lives away. We want to obey Him. That's why John 15, actually go to John 14 rather, write that down, John 14. This should be easy to remember. John 14, 15. You'll never forget this verse, will you? Next time you go to church camp, you're going to quote this one. John 14, 15. John 14, 15, here it is. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, you're going to obey me, is what he's saying. How about 1 John? Jump down there and write that down. 1 John 5, 3. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You see this? There's a theme all throughout Scripture. You go to Old Testament, and you see that the kids of Israel rebelled. They were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. They didn't want to obey, and they suffered greatly. When you wander 40 years and look at a map on a very small area of wandering for 40 years with a bunch of people, that's serious consequences to disobedience. New Testament. All throughout Scripture, New Testament, we see, and here's two illustrations. If you love me, if you really love me, John, put your name in there. God's saying, Jesus is saying, if you really love me, obey me. Just obey me. Spurgeon said it like this. So that those who endure temptation rightly endure it because they love God. They say to themselves, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? They cannot fall into sin because it would grieve him who loves them so well and whom they love with all of their hearts. See, it's our motive. It's our motive. It's our motive. It's all for God's glory. It's expressed to that love. And the object of our love, don't miss this, the object of our love is just God himself. It's not what God does for you and me. No, it's just God. He's our object. He's our treasure. He's our joy. We just long for you, God. That's the love that James is talking about here. So here's the takeaway question. Very simple question. Ask it yourself and answer truthfully. Am I blessed? And do I truly have eternal life? Ask yourself that question right now. Are you blessed? And do you truly have eternal life? Not again, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, hocus pocus. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you just thrown it on His altar and said, I don't want to do this any longer. I'm tired of playing tug of war with you, Jesus. Here, take my life and let it be. Have you given your life to Christ? Because when you have, you will be blessed. You will be happy in the midst of the struggle. 
So here's your action step. Write it down. It's a really long one, so get ready. Here it is. If I have not truly given my life to Christ, I will seek to do so through godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and I will remain steadfast through adversity, affliction, and temptation by the power of God. Let me read that again. Here's our concluding action step. If I have not truly given my life to Christ, truly, and I pray right now, if you have, and I pray the Holy Spirit is just rocking your world right now, I pray. I will seek to do so through godly sorrow. So the Bible says godly sorrow that leads to repentance, a turning from the self-life and casting yourself into the arms of the Savior. And I will remain steadfast, endure, pass the test through adversity, affliction, and temptation by the power of God. So where do we go from here? Well, think about what James said. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You know, don't waste. Don't negate anything you're going through right now that's of heartache and pain. And I know that sounds bizarre in the flesh. When we say don't run from pain but actually embrace it. I know that sounds absolutely just strange, but let me give you an illustration. When I purchased a few years ago an engagement ring for my wife, I can remember walking into the jeweler. I remember right now, I can picture it in my mind's eye that I walked into the jewelry store and as I walked into that store, of course I'm looking and didn't have a whole lot of money. So I'm kind of perusing, trying to act like you know what you're doing. You know what I'm talking about. Trying to kind of, hey, you know, I'm looking at the big diamonds, but realizing, ooh, wow, that's going to be bad. So I'm kind of going over to my section of the jewelry store, and I kind of found something that was in my price range. And I'll never forget what happened next. The attendant came out, and he said, hey, uh, you looking for a ring? I said, yeah. Looking to get engaged. Oh, that's cool. Congratulations. Thank you. And he, he pulled out the ring. I'll never forget this. And, and he didn't take the ring and just hold it up in the air and say, hey, what do you think about that? He didn't take the ring and just lay it on the counter on that clear top and, hey, what do you think about that? He didn't just leave it there in that clear case and say, oh, there it is. What do you think? No, this is what he did. He, he pulled out from under the counter a, a black velour velvet mat. Never forget this. And, and he laid it down and, and he was so good at what he did because he, he made sure it was smooth. All the wrinkles were out. And he took that diamond ring. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And he, and he laid it on the black background. And when he put it on the black background, the diamond came to life. It almost just jumped off the counter. It glistened. I could see the sparkles all over the room, it seemed like it, as it was on the black background. Do you see, our black, dark nights of the soul can be a glorious tapestry that when God takes the diamond of our life that He's created, and He doesn't just hold it up and go, see, that's what I'm doing. 
He doesn't leave it in a clear case or on a clear calendar and say, that's what I'm doing. No, He allows the sufferings of this present time that as we look at the sufferings and the darkness of your life today and He puts our life on there and we begin to glisten, we begin to radiate and and we see how glorious really He is for for His praise and for His glory that we'll know that blessed is the man who endures, that He endures and steadfast in all that He goes through in the trial because when He has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life. Because God has promised to those who love Him. I don't know what black background your life is on today. But regardless, when Jesus lays you on that difficult situation, He will glisten and shine like never before as He lives through you. Let's pray. Father, we come before You. God, I don't know the trials and the struggles of those that are listening right now, but I know this from your word today, that blessed, happy is the man who endures, does not bend, does not buckle, does not break, but endures, who's steadfast, who knows that in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. God, whatever you want to do in this time of reflection, of decision, God, I pray if there's someone listening right now and they've never given their life to you, God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you stir right now? Will you stir, oh God, in such a way that they will surrender everything to you right now? God, because as parents, we often say, to delay is to disobey. God, I pray that we would not be disobedient in this time of decision and reflection. But I pray that all of our Isaacs and all of our yeses would be on the table. God, to you be the praise in this time as you stir and we obey. To you be the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.